Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and spy in friendship, Christian Ubius. Christian, I probably should not have kicked off the show by announcing that we're both actually spies. Do you think our handler is going to come for us once this episode is released? If we're actually spies, we've done such a good job of pretending to be dopes that no one would believe us. That, that is fair. I, I have, at least on this podcast alone, presented myself as deeply incompetent several times. So we're not actually spies, listeners, or are we? But of course, we, we are, are. We're really good ones. <laughs> we're we are really here good. today to discuss one of the more recent fictional spies whose great star movie screens. That being Lorraine Broughton, who is the main character in Atomic Blonde, the final film here in our David Leach blend of the month. Christian, I am curious about your thoughts on this month in general. I know we haven't gotten to Lorraine and her her friends in Berlin yet, but obviously we started with Bullet Train, which is a movie that the two of us liked but didn't didn't love. And then John Wick, which of course I love, but you are much more muted on. So what was, what was kind of your attitude going into Atomic Blonde? Are you mad at me for a lousy month? Or where were you at before watching? I can kind of pick out what David Leach's directorial styles are decently easy now. That being said, um, I do think that the material matters here when, when, when looking at who his writer is. And so... What I believe in the future will make or break a David Leitch-directed film for me is going to be the screenwriter. And, and, and we'll talk about that more in a second. I'm looking forward to hearing more of your thoughts here as we get into our discussion here on Atomic Blonde. So this is both a movie that the two of us are coming to for the first time, as we discussed last week when introducing this episode. Did you have any sort of preconceptions about Atomic Blonde in particular? Had you heard much about it or were you pretty blank, pretty much a blank slate on it? I have heard people say it is an interesting movie and that is about the extent to which I know. And in the past when scrolling Netflix, I've definitely seen the pick of her in blonde with the roots showing like in, I don't know, walking through something and in blue, like shot across Atomic Blonde in cool letters. And I feel like it fits a bunch of different movies that have come out this way. The, the, there's a, there's for sure a Scarlett Johansson movie where she like takes a pill that unlocks all of her brain. I believe that is called Lucy. Yes. And there's a, a, a Jessica Chastain movie that just came out ah, a couple of years ago. Ava? That is called Ava. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of movies that are just the main character's first name. And I, it, it felt to me like a film in that realm where it's a woman who is in her prime acting-wise in terms of dramatic roles, who does a film where she gets to punch a lot of people. And they are normally obscure. I'm not saying the films are good or bad. I'm just saying that most of the time, no one talks about them. Yeah, certainly for Lucy and Ava, which from what I remember about Lucy, there were certainly people who were fans, but it had a pretty mixed reception when it came out. And Ava, I heard nothing about. I don't. I haven't read a single review about it. I, I don't know if anybody talked about it other than the fact of wondering what Jessica Chastain was doing in it right after. Because this released right after she won her Oscar, right? <laughs> like, either right after or right before, so just kind of a weird... Ava? Yeah. 
I I want to say it came out probably the same year or the year before. Yeah, so weird timing there. But Atomic Blonde obviously comes out at a different time for Charlize Theron. And it's coming on the heels of Fury Road. So, of course, if you are a movie fan and you listen to this podcast, you've most likely seen, if you know, most likely heard of, if not seen multiple times, Mad Max Fury Road. One of the biggest hits of 2015. Went on to win a bunch of Oscars, including a nomination for Best Picture. You're a big fan. I am a huge fan of Mad Max Fury Road. And definitely a movie that put some juice back into, into Charlize because... It's not like her career was, like, lagging before this, but she had made some weirder choices. Like, for example, A Million Ways to Die in the West with Seth MacFarlane or a movie called Dark Places that I've not heard a soul talk about. She was in Prometheus, which, again, if you're a fan of those movies, probably loved her in it, but some people had a more mixed reaction to it, so... I am a fan of the Alien franchise, but I've only seen Alien 1, Alien 2. I've also seen Predator, the first Predator movie... Which I kind of really like. And I also like Predator. I, I'm looking forward to... Wa- I've heard Predator 2 is not great. <laughs> and But I want to watch them just so I can watch the AVP. <laughs> the famously bad Alien vs. Predator movies? Uh, me too. I, I would like to get there someday. But obviously she, she's in a kind of a funny spot where she's making some big choices like being in Snow White and the Huntsman and Prometheus. But also some off the beaten path choices like Million Ways to Die in the West. So, Mad Max Fury Road... She, wait, she, she made Monster Hunt. She was the lead in Monster Hunter, right? No, that was Mila Jovovich. She was, okay, was she in an action film two, in 2020? Yeah, so... The, the Old Guard. Yes, yeah, she was in The Old Guard. Okay. As well as, she joined the Fast and Furious franchise off the heels of Atomic Blonde, so she's also been doing that for the last couple of years. Okay, so I have a question for you Hit on me. Charlize Theron. Talking Charlize. She has not she does not stop working she has a very nice career she is continuously getting praise that being said i don't know if too many people here know her and it's not like she's not in notable movies but sometimes it feels like the movie eclipses her role in it maybe i mean when you say too many people here what do you mean you mean like our age are, yeah, like 20-somethings. 20-somethings. I don't know too many 20-somethings are that familiar with Charlize Theron, despite how great she is. Yeah, I I guess that makes sense. And Mad Max Fury Road's kind of the one that goes against the grain there. But obviously, when you go to a Fast and Furious movie, it was exciting when she was announced as the villain. But it's not like you're going because she's the villain. And she's made enough off-the-beaten-path movies. Not just A Million Ways to Die in the West, but even her collaborations with Jason Reitman, like Young Adult and Tully. Where I've, I've only Young seen... Adult is an amazing film. Tully is an amazing film. Shout out to all you Reitman heads out there. <laughs> but I haven't seen Young Adult. But again, she's someone who... Obviously, if you're into movies, you know of her, and you've seen her biggest hits. But uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. And where, in terms of like people who are popular among like 20-somethings, even younger 30-somethings, she's not exactly the most notable movie star working right now. Uh, although, most spoiler alert for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, she just appeared in a post credit scene there. So it seems like her collecting of franchises is continuing. Yeah. <laughs> she's now going to be in the MCU, and I'm sure she's doing plenty fine for herself. Uh, have you seen Monster, the movie that won her, her Oscar? No. Neither have I. That's, that's a movie that, unfortunately, as often happens with Oscars. Yes, directed by Patty Jenkins. Her debut movie, actually. Debut feature, at least, to the best of my knowledge. 
But yeah, one of those movies where, unfortunately, it won her an Oscar, and that's kind of what it's known for these days. <laughs> so maybe we'll it's catch up. It's also known it. as the Patty Jenkins starting vehicle. Yeah, well, serial killer movie can can never go wrong there. So maybe we'll check out Monster in a later blend of the month, Christian. But of course, there are more people involved here in Atomic Blonde. So want to quickly uh, touch on some of these other collaborators here before we get to our review. Of course, directed by David Leach, but written by Kurt Johnstad, and he was adapting The Coldest City, which is a graphic novel that released i think in 2015 and so of course the this rights film were... does look like a graphic novel yes it does uh very much so and i'm looking forward to discussing the the visuals a little bit with you all three of these movies look like graphic novels yeah that's that's absolutely something about leech is i think he really tries to be a visual stylist and sometimes these guys who get elevated as action directors aren't necessarily known for their visual chops, where they're kind of known for their choreography and pulling together excellently shot and acted fight scenes, but not necessarily the visuals beyond that. So I think he's at least trying, oh, to, <laughs> for better or for worse, to give his movies a little flair and I'm, some style. I'm trying to think of who it is that you said this about, but the Russo brothers who have directed a couple of movies that I truly, truly love, like actually adore. And yet, when I think about those films, I never think about the director of those films. Right. And for the Russos, unfortunately, their non-MCU movies you have fallen flat most recently. Uh, whether I that's... thought Cherry was fine. I liked Cherry, actually, I... a, a chunk of it. Yeah, I, I liked I was not as much of a fan of Cherry. The points that I did give it were more for Tom Holland's performance than anything, because I felt like the Russos were just trying too hard. Uh, but, yeah, there, there are... Like you're saying, some of these bigger, more well-known action directors, because for better or for worse, the Russos are action directors, and you can see that in their community episodes, let alone the feature films they're making. Uh, that, that Leach is definitely trying to set himself apart in some respects, even as he's working in these big franchises like John Wick or Deadpool or Fast and Furious. Uh, so the other people to mention here before we get into our review for Atomic Blonde, of course, Charlize is the star of the show, but she's acting alongside James McAvoy, John Goodman, Till Schweiger, Sophia Boutella, Eddie Marsan, and some other fun actors. Uh, it was shot by Jonathan Sala, who also shot John Wick for Leech, music by Tyler Bates, who also did the music for John Wick. And Atomic Blonde, although it's not got the biggest reputation, especially as John Wick became a franchise and Leech has worked on some of these other big properties, was a success. It was made for a budget of $30 million, but brought in $100 million worldwide. And so you can see why Leech starts getting these bigger and bigger opportunities as a solo director. Because, of course, Atomic Blonde is his first film as a solo director with Stahelski not here to steal the credit as the director of John Wick, but this is Leech on his own. Christian, anything else you wanted to touch on before we dive into the review here? Let's let's dive into the review. Let's do it, Christian. So, we have seen David Leach's take on a serious thriller kind of action movie with John Wick, of course, and we've seen his take on more of a lighthearted crime action comedy in Bullet Train. And Atomic Blonde is something very different from those two movies, in that while of course it features some serious action scenes, it's also really a spy movie. And spy movies are a genre unto themselves. There's, of course, variations on them where they're more comedic, like the Kingsman movies or Austin Powers, or the more classic, like James Bond or Three Days of the Condor, these big classic spy movies that he's trying to walk in, in some respects, while bringing his own style to it. So I just want to know, Christian, did the this, this spy milieu of Atomic Blonde work for you? Because Leech has his style, Charlize brings the acting. Okay, what do you mean by work for me? There are some action scenes in this film that are truly stellar. 
absolutely incredible. And there's one in particular that I think you know what I'm talking about. I do. <laughs> a very extended sequence yes. that's fantastic. Yeah. I was, like, gripped by it. That being said, um, it, like... Uh, so, just, like, in terms of milieu, I mean, literally, like, did you enjoy the fact that this was a spy movie? Or do you wish that no. somehow... <laughs> I, no, 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 I didn't. And, and, be, and it's... The script is so freaking convoluted, man. The script is so freaking convoluted. Put some James Bond movies to shame. <laughs> how complicated and Some it is. James Bond movies are way too... Oh, my. And, like, th- this was my issue with Bullet Train. For some reason, John Wick was, like, the best written out of all of these movies. It... Indeed it was. <laughs> and you know what my thoughts are on John Wick. <laughs> now, the... the um, oh... Oh my, I, I honestly still don't know what happens in this movie. And that's, okay. Did we, we, did we, did you set it up? Did we, did we kind of set it up? Because, okay, so, so she. Well, so yeah, let's, let's set up the story here. That's the one thing we, we did not specifically mention before talking, well, while we were talking background on the yeah. movie. So if for whatever reason you did not watch Atomic Blonde before listening, we won't spoil it because of course there are some big plot twists and turns near the end of the movie. We'll try to, to save for you as you go watch it yourself, but in, in general, of course, the setup is that Charlize plays Lorraine Broughton, an MI6 agent who is dispatched to Berlin right before the fall of the Berlin Wall. And she is going to follow up on the death of another agent, Gascoigne, who she had a relationship with. And Gascoigne, when he was murdered, lost a list of other secret agents for multiple governments who are operating in Berlin. And so it's her goal to try to track down this list, find out... Uh, I guess she, she, they know who killed him, so she not, doesn't have to find out who killed him, but track down the list and try to make sure it doesn't fall into the wrong hands, working with some other operatives along the way. So, of course, in classic spy movie fashion, there are multiple agencies and world governments involved. This is a Cold War spy thriller. So the Russians are here, the Germans are here, the English are here, and the French pop up, and the Americans even get involved. And, of course, the search for the list is not just the search for the list, but... Uh, there's also double agents to try to root out. There are turncoats to protect <laughs> and uh, bullets to dodge. And so there is a lot going on. And that is something that I, I don't think that there's you appreciate. There's a sex position scene. <laughs> there is a nice sex position scene, of course, which is not in the original graphic novel. Uh, they added <laughs> it to the movie, which complicated thoughts on that. But I, it's something where I... I like spy movies. I've been watching a lot of the James Bond movies since they were uh, added to Amazon Prime recently. And I kind of love how complicated these narratives can get. Just just as like a stylistic. Kind of like somebody who likes horror movies loves it when some, when the slasher villain murders the handsome young football player. And so okay, look, that's I, sort of what I was bringing to this and why I was asking you about it. I told you that I finished playing, finally, Kingdom Hearts 3. And that story is... is Almost, about as convoluted as it gets. <laughs> this I'm, is true. Shout out to Kingdom Hearts. Great, great series of games. I, I, I will tell you, and this is a major insult to this movie, I did the thing that made me realize what I thought about this movie, which is that I want to say I checked the timestamp and realized that we were only an hour into the film, and so I took out my laptop and started to do work. Christian, no! No! That's not okay! <laughs> Oh, Christian. I mean, I, I put it, I put it away when we got to the action scene. <laughs> We're talking about this movie for the podcast, listeners. I apologize. To I you. couldn't follow it. I, I, I could. I'm oh. like, this looks pretty, 
I don't know what's going on, and I read the Wikipedia article on it, and I have no clue when some of these things happened in the film. Yeah, so the Wikipedia is a little bit convoluted in and of itself because it, it doesn't tell things as they are sequenced in the movie. There are occasionally bits that they put in uh, the summary chronologically, not as they are revealed in the movie. <laughs> so even that is not necessarily helpful. And of course, I forgot to mention, this is this movie a lot is, or is entirely happening in flashback because at the very beginning of the movie, Lorraine sits down for her debrief with her MI6 handler and a CIA agent as well and so we're constantly cutting back and not constantly but we occasionally cut back to her in the debriefing room we'll cut back to berlin we'll cut to her being sent off to berlin <laughs> like there's there's a lot of interweaving intercutting plus keeping up with these different agents okay. and their the, the, <laughs> their the, desires the premise of this story is actually kind of simple they are looking for a list that has the names of agents and double agents that's it. That's that's it. when you boil it down to it. That should be so easy to make a spy film out of. It's like, oh yeah, you don't want to reveal the names of operatives. So if this list gets into the wrong hands, that's bad. Especially in the Cold War, East Berlin versus West Berlin issue. But when they start going into how some of this has kind of contributed to the fall of the wall... And James McAvoy's character, who's a dick, and I honestly still don't really understand what his motivations are. <laughs> I read the Wikipedia article and said that he thought her a threat to his way of life, and I don't remember where we saw that in the movie. There you go. So we can talk McAvoy then, because he plays David Percival, who's just known as Percival. He's MI6 agent as well, her point of contact when she gets to the city. But he's gone a little rogue. Somebody at some point says he's gone native, so to speak, where he is not only spying in berlin but he's also running a contraband operation so he's selling jack daniels and stuff to berliners who are trying to get their hands on booze and jack daniels is fine yeah and but he has basically he has got the problem where he's trying to play nice for his mi6 bosses while also make some money off the berliners and he's sort of fallen in into that lifestyle of the the resistance in uh berlin at the time then I always forget which side was the communist side and which side was the capitalist side. <laughs> so I think he's falling in with the West Berliners, I, I want to say. Let me, let me, the West Berlin, the uh, Berlin Wall, I don't know. <laughs> so what's interesting about McAvoy is he's got these, you know, he's got very curious priorities because he likes he wants to keep the status quo with his operation in berlin so he's not necessarily interested in overthrowing the uh, russian involved communist government because it, he then loses his operation he loses his way his way of life he has to go on a more boring mission for mi6 and the other thing to keep in mind is that lorraine throughout the movie is trying to ascertain the identity of satchel and satchel is an unknown character to us satchel is a double agent and we find out this person has helped get the list of names to the Russian operative who kills uh, Gascoigne at the beginning but, of the but movie. What's, what's in it for them? These people are double agents, but is it like what? What's in it? And that's what, honestly, usually money or power or. But I think I okay, <laughs> but do you kind of get what I'm saying? They don't. What what is? They they're normally playing an angle because that angle benefits them. But James yes. McAvoy's character, Percival, is, is playing every angle, 
And I don't really know, except that he has like a bohemian kind of a lifestyle, and I'm not sure how him playing every angle supports that. Also, um... Kind of like he has to keep up appearances with the British government, but also doesn't try his job, try to do his job too hard because he likes what he's got going on in Berlin, considering the circumstances. But also Lorraine is, is, I'm not sure what is in it for her or what her, I mean, her kind of, there's, I don't, there are too many double agents. I mean, with Lorraine, it's like. And the French girl. (laughs) And the French girl, yes. Oh my goodness. Sophia Boutella playing Delphine LaSalle, the Frenchest name I've ever heard, who is an undercover French agent who is sort of keeping tabs on Lorraine after she gets to Berlin and, of course, then involves herself in Lorraine's mission in, in the city. Who, yes, she... I'm not going to lie, like yeah. 80 different times I forgot who Gascoigne is, who Satchel <laughs> is, what Satchel was, what the pictures that Del... Delphine took apparently some incriminating pictures of Percival. That she did. Meeting up with someone. I Was the, the person she was meeting up with KGB? Yes. Or he was meeting... Okay, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't... Okay, and, and everyone listening, I'm so sorry... But if you want to come in here because you want a nice, taut, spy mission, this is not that film. And I will say, that's a plus for me. Because I like these kinds of movies. I love complicated spy narratives. Especially when things mostly come together at the end. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm torn because let's get a couple of things out of the way. Yeah. This film looks beautiful. It, it is a very visually attractive and stylish movie. It, it's a perfectly shot noir-looking setting. Once again, using a lot of colored or tinted, uh, you know, well, it's, in fr- tints in front of the lens. It's bleakened, of... like they, yeah. it's colored, desaturated, but then with splashes of neon every so often. And there's so much about this movie that is just blue. Like, if yes. you look at the poster, Atomic is in blue on the poster. Yeah, and even like at the very beginning of the movie, we meet Lorraine. She's sitting in an ice bath, nursing some wounds, and it's literally just like blue <laughs> for her. And obviously, she doesn't look like a Smurf or a, a, a Navi, but there is a there is a very clear idea they want to communicate that that she is this reserved, careful, muted spy who takes her job very seriously. Of course, I, I guess I just. I, I, and, and this is the last thing I'll talk about the script before we talk into some of the directorial styles. Um, although maybe I should talk about the characters too, but I wasn't exactly sure who I was rooting for or what I was rooting for or what I wanted them to accomplish. And, and some, like it, that, you did not need that, but my eyes glazed over at several different moments. And I realized that that's, I had a big issue with that and that what David Leach needs. Is, is is a concise, straightforward script. Honestly, like... Kill, Christian, can I refer kill... you to a little movie called Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw? Because that movie is so straightforward it hurts, and it's a, it's a dumb good time at the movies. I mean, even John Wick, you know, like, you kill my dog and therefore I go seek vengeance, sure. You know, and stole, so and stole his car while he's grieving. Come on, Christian. He cared about the car. <laughs> well, actually, I saw John Wick Chapter 2. Yeah? I fell asleep, but it wasn't the movie's fault. I'm gonna, I need to rewatch it. I'm going to fall out of my chair, folks. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's keep going. 
Yeah, the, so while we transition here to other topics, the story is very complicated and very convoluted. So it, it, and that totally depends, I think, on you. It's not, in, you know, with these kinds of spy narratives, sometimes the more complicated it is, the better. And if they can sort it out enough for you, you're going to love it. Other times you might think it's frustrating and pull out your computer to do some work. And that's that's fine. <laughs> it's just a matter of opinion. I will say, though, that's something I did enjoy about Bullet Train, where um, when Bad Bunny shows up and he's like, you ruined my life. And Brad Pitt's like, I don't even know you. I'm like, yeah, I don't know you either. And then we get a nice long going. flashback. <laughs> um, but, okay. So the movie looks gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. The locations, when they were inside... That movie theater that's showing Stalker by Tarkovsky. And just, I wish I had seen Stalker at this same, point so yeah. I could be like, what's Leech getting at? Because this is like a goofy, action-oriented spy movie. And Stalker's like an existential... Apocalyptic. Apocalyptic, long Russian drama from Tarkovsky. <laughs> I'm just like, what's the point he's trying to make here? I I, I have I have absolutely... Well, there's no way we can do a Tarkovsky one of the month. No one would sit through like eight hours. Yeah, not until we have way more listeners who are in, in it to uh with us to win it (laughs) but the um okay but yeah there's there's lots of neon her room has this particular blend of like purplish lighting like red and blue a lot of red like you were talking about some greens get mixed in the 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 also the the performances i enjoyed quite a bit like i did enjoy Charlize theron i thought she was amazing i love james mcavoy This is this. the kind of thing for Charlize where she just she's awesome yes. in these kinds of roles, but she can kind of just be a badass woman in in charge of her own situation. Like, she is. I loved Bill great. Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård, yes, I, I, he's not listed. He's at this point he was a, a small enough actor, obviously from the Skarsgård family, but a small enough actor he doesn't even get mentioned on like the little Wikipedia blurb. But yeah, he's he's really fun in this movie playing a, a agent of her uh, who she's friendly with in Berlin. I kind of forget where his allegiances lie <laughs> like, whether he's uh, i think yeah he's an east german contact there you go sure i did not <laughs> pick that up but let's talk action because i feel like the action was the best part of this film yeah and- there i mean there atomic bond is a good blend of like spy movie intrigue trying to solve the mystery and find the list and then mixing in these adrenaline rush action scenes at, at just the right time to to draw you back in so i totally agree with you there okay so there is a sequence that i'm going to spoil listeners so please please know that this sequence is wonderful we're talking about the one take stairwell sequence well we're going to talk before that oh when they are in because the umbrellas are before that right that is yeah the umbrellas lead into that they're trying to sneak a man from east berlin to west berlin yes 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 yeah eddie marsan plays spyglass who he's a face that you'll recognize if you don't know his name and he is a a defector from the secret police who's trying to get to western uh countries mi6 or west germany whoever to reveal information that will hopefully help uh help the cause and uh, as they sneak him through they need to make sure that people that the kgb who's waiting and wants to kill him for the information that he has um don't see him so I think it gets started by a whistle, right? James McAvoy whistles, and everyone in this protest that they're sneaking through lifts their umbrella in a beautifully choreographed sequence. And then none of the KGB can see him, and then James McAvoy ends up shooting him, which I just don't I, I don't get. But you know what? Sure. <laughs> he might but, not have been the one to whistle. I think that was maybe Skarsgård who whistled it to oh, initiate it. Might be Skarsgård. Yes. And then we... 
the why McAvoy shoots him, of course, it gets into sort of plot details we don't want to spoil. But, but I can't spoil because yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm intellectually incapable of spoiling. Yeah, I know, I get you. And, and then they, um, so 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 Lorraine takes him into a building in a stairwell and proceeds a massively long one take of her going down the elevator, killing two people in spectacular fashion, facing more um, KGB operatives, rushing out of the building, finding a car being chased down, shooting the car that's chasing her, and then needing to go back up and reverse eventually. It's wonderful. It's an unbelievable action sequence, and the kind where you just keep thinking, oh, they're going to they're gonna cut now, right? They're going to cut now, right? And no. the long take goes on for, minutes. I don't even know, yeah, like minutes. six, minutes. seven minutes probably. Uh, and I don't even know if there's any, I'm sure there's maybe a hidden cut here or there, but I couldn't find it. It was seamless. It's, it's such an incredible sequence. And the fact that they managed to draw this out, and it's not like some kind of crazy, unbelievable, she's taking on uh, 10, 15 bad guys and dispatching them all. It's kind of like intimate in its stakes almost, because she takes on two bad guys, gets rid of them, and goes and fights two more. And they managed to to really draw out these th- this fight and just uh, again really show not just her skill as a fighter but even her vulnerability in some ways because she's not a John Wick style badass where he's Wick's just walking around shooting everybody in the head. She gets she gets <laughs> hurt and you can see how hurt she is and her screams are screams of pain and it's one of those where Lorraine in this entire movie has proven how capable she is but also how like she's not invincible and that i think is the beauty of her character just just how vulnerable she lets us see and even in the first scene we get when she's in an ice bath and her entire back is just covered in scratches and bruises she's got a black black eye eye. yeah it's it's just you see that this is a woman who's been put through the ringer in terms of beatings so unbelievable that he was able to get this and one of one of the best action scenes that i've seen in a long time in a movie yeah i one of the few things that i did know about atomic blonde before watching it for myself is that people went crazy for this scene and it would show up on lists of like best action scenes of the 2010s best action movies of the 2010s that particular moment would get shouted out so often and i was very very glad to finally see it any other action sequences that stood out to you that you want to mention, whether the movie theater fight or early on when she fights dudes with a rope <laughs> or something else? I didn't get the rope because I felt like you, you bring out the rope to hang people or choke them, but she didn't do that. But that's the fun of it, Christian. <laughs> there, there, There's a very interesting, intimate fight between James McAvoy's um, Percival and Delphine, which it's hard to watch. Yes, it is. It's a very hard, and yet it's so, like, that's what I want to see. Like, that, the stairwell scene, that's what I want in a spy dramatic thriller. Um, so, so, it, it's, oh man, I, I, I'm going to shout out those two specifically. Yeah. That's, that's a kind of, even mindset or headspace that spy movies have where a movie like John Wick, you really don't think that Wick is, gonna die you know he's just gonna he's gonna kill all the bad guys he's gonna take on that whole russian mob by himself but in these kinds of movies you know that everybody is in danger the entire time even the agent 
who kills Gascoigne at the beginning of the movie to steal the list, that guy does not survive the movie, of course, and and he is just dispatched with, and we move on. Wait, what, what question? What does this movie have to do with the fall of the Berlin Wall? So it's taking place around the time of the fall of the Berlin Wall, and I, I, <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, I don't think that their actions are directly influencing this. I think it's happening around them. So. Sure. And just trying to situate it in a okay. particular time period. This, this whole movie, too, we haven't really mentioned this. There's a lot of 80s stylings to it, from the, the neon lights to the music that they're Ronald playing Reagan's throughout in the movie. movie. Ronald Reagan shows up at the very beginning give, in one of his speeches that they used to kick off the movie. Uh, and so, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Indeed. So I think it's more just trying to situate the story in a particular moment in time, because you have... The West, which is really winning the Cold War by this point, and the East, who is sort of trying to shore up their influences and not get that, get what they can out of it. And that's more just the, the history of what's going on. It's not like like don't okay. come to this movie for an in depth study of Berlin at the fall of the wall. If you like learning about the Cold War, you may enjoy this movie slightly more. <laughs> and even if you don't, I think you can like it as well. So, Christian, I, I gotta say, one thing, a couple things I want to mention before we move on here. Uh, I do have to say, yeah, Charlize, mm-hmm. not just from like an action standpoint, but just from like a styling standpoint, like the costumes. She looks good. Her hair, incredible. She looks great. Just looks incredible in every, every frame of this movie, except when she's like in a bath and looks like she's been beaten to hell and back. James McAvoy looks like he needs to shower. James McAvoy, in fact, does look like he needs to shower, but I kind of love that about his character. They're a very nice point counterpoint because she's, of course, the put together British agent. He Delphine? is the native British looked. agent. Good. Delphine. Yes, Sophia Butella. There, we, we've mentioned her a couple times. Also, looks very good. Some nice French style on her. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's all I got. That's all <laughs> I have about this movie. Last thing I'll mention here, and one thing that I appreciate about the careers of Stahelski and Leach and, and these other guys sort of in their world, is they are pretty good about helping to launch careers. Because, of course, Stahelski and Leach came up as stuntmen and then stunt choreographers and then you know stunt directors or coordinators uh, before becoming second unit directors onto full-fledged directors of big budget action movies themselves and one person who does appear in this movie in a small role is sam hargrave and more importantly he was the second unit director on this movie but he would go on from atomic blonde to work on the mandalorian and okay. would direct Extraction, which was yes, a yes. Chris Hemsworth action movie that came out in 2020, produced by the Russos and maybe written by them as well, but it was Hargrave's directorial debut. So just cool to pick up on the fact that he's here in a small role, doing the stunts and directing the second unit while his own career is on the rise yeah. as well. So love to see that. All right, Christian, if you have no final thoughts on Atomic Blonde, would you recommend it to listeners? Because I would I would definitely recommend it. It's probably not my favorite movie that we've discussed, although we will get into that in a minute here. But I don't definitely... think I can recommend this. Christian. I, I don't. And, and, and it's funny because there are definitely movies that I've liked less. And I'm like, no, watch it for this or watch it for that. I honestly think you should go on YouTube and put on the stairwell scene and you'll be good. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I can't. I it, It's... And there's there's so many amazing things about this movie. Sad day, Christian. Sad day. I, I'm like I don't hate it. There's definitely <laughs> movies we've seen that I've hated, but oh my goodness, I have no clue what's going on, and, and I I don't. And I think that knowing my 
friends who watch movies, they would not know what's going on either. <laughs> well, hey, if you're a Christian's friend who watches movies, you'll have to watch Atomic Blonde and tell us what you think. It does come recommended by me. It's not streaming anywhere currently, but it is rentable a variety of places. It's streamable, I think, actually through DirecTV. So if you're still on uh, DirecTV, like, some, some cable or some satellite there, check it out. Uh, but of course, I'm sure it'll be back on a streaming service at some point in the near future. Okay. So Christian, as we often do with our Blends of the Month, or as we always do, really, we have to wrap these things up with some awards. We love to reflect on the month, talk about our bests and favorites, and so I'm going to turn it over to you, Christian, for a couple of awards. Uh, all right, well, I'm going to turn it over to you first. I'm going to give my answer next. But we're just going to start with best lead role for Leech's movies. We started with Brad Pitt as Ladybug in Bullet Train, followed it up with Keanu Reeves as John Wick in John Wick, and then we had Charlize Theron as Lorraine Broughton in Atomic Blonde. I'm going to go with Brad Pitt. Going with Brad Pitt. Because Brad Pitt is the only one who looks like he's having fun in any of these movies. <laughs> and... I, I think that, look, this, these movies are kind of brutal. And, and, but the thing is, they're so stylish. In another world, they're making Edgar Wright movies. But I, the plot is so convoluted that the drama doesn't hit me. And I think that as much as, as, as much as, look, Bullet Train is not the best movie on this list. But, but Brad Pitt is doing the best I don't, I don't know, knowing glance and having fun with the neon and having fun with the stylistic action and, and, and the kill shot comedy. So, yeah, you know, I, I love the Brad Pitt held project in him helming it. I will say, I think Keanu Reeves is having a lot of fun in John Wick, although that movie is much more serious. And, of course, Atomic Blonde and John Wick are much more serious movies than Bullet Train, so I wouldn't hold the specific, like, having fun against them. And I will say, I really like Brad Pitt. He's my number three for this award. Uh, and choosing between Keanu and Charlize was challenging for me. Uh, I would definitely be curious to rewatch Atomic Blonde after some of the final twists and turns. But I think I'm still going to go rewatch with... it with a notepad. There you go. No, we'll I'm keep, not going to rewatch it. We'll keep movie. track of the plot and diagram it so that you can understand it. I think I am going to give the slight edge to Keanu as John Wick. I knew it. Partially, maybe a franchise award because I'm a big fan of those movies. But I do think that he gets the slight edge for me in, in what he's doing in capturing the wounded essence of the loss from the early part of the movie, carrying that into the full blown Baba Yaga boogeyman that he has to play for the rest of the movie. And obviously, uh, I think all three of these people did a lot of their own stunts. I know that Pitt and Reeves did a lot of their own stunts. I have to look at uh, what Charlize did. But Keanu doing all of his own stunts and looking badass while doing it, I, I kind of can't resist him. Sure. So going to go with Keanu, although Charlize is a very close second place. Then, Christian, want to ask your thoughts on... The stairwell scene. Best action sequence. It's the stairwell scene, 100%. <laughs> and it's from the umbrellas going up to the car going into the river or the lake or whatever that thing is. It was so well done, timed. I had to put the computer away. It was... Tisk tisk. No, it, it was <laughs> fantastic. Kept my intention. I was gripped. Didn't know how many KGB agents were after her. Didn't know what was going to happen to Spyglass. Loved it. Loved every second of it. I was really trying to think about moments from John Wick or Bullet Train that could surpass this for me. And I think Wick has some great shootouts, obviously, and they get really creative with how uh, Wick takes those bad guys out. 
But I agree with you. I think the stairwell sequence is one of those moments that is instantly iconic that when people are writing about action movies in the 2010s or in the 21st century, down the road in, in 20 and 30 and 50 years, that this moment will come up because of how instantly iconic it was and the precision in getting that long take handled as Lorraine fights to protect Spyglass. It, it's just... It's so impressively done, and it's an incredible performance from Theron. It's incredible direction from Leech and his collaborators, and just, yeah, totally balls-to-the-wall action sequence in a movie that has been... It's had its serious action moments, but is relatively more reserved and committed to the, the spy narrative that it's telling. So, totally agree with you there on the sterile sequence being the winner. And now, best picture. We share it. We share it. It's John Wick. We really share it as John Wick. It, it's the best script. It, okay. Like, it has to be. It's the most simple script in which you can follow along everything that's going on. He is going for revenge. All the things that he's doing for are for that. I cannot honestly tell you that all the action sequences in Atomic Blonde were in order to find the list. And uh, the, the bullet train had way too many flashbacks for apparently no reason to talk <laughs> about this convoluted family drama that I, I, I don't know that just took place on a train. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, no surprise, John Wick is my pick for this award. I really was hoping that Atomic Blonde would surpass it, because I was excited to watch it, I had heard good things. But, yeah, Wick, not just in, in me being a fan of the franchise, but even liking it more than you, <laughs> knowing that you're kind of begrudgingly picking it because this wasn't your favorite month of movies. But, I, again, I really love that central Keanu performance. I think the action is not only fun to watch, but it's just crisply shot and edited. It's very clean. You can always keep track of what's going on. And again, the visual style is still there with the bringing in the neons and the bright, the bright lights against the desaturated look. Plus, you get this fun criminal underworld that's starting to unfold before our eyes and Derek Kolstad's script that would get expanded upon in really fun and interesting ways in the sequels. So, gotta go with John Wick here. I did like Atomic Blonde, and I thought Bullet Train was fine, although it was a little bit of a, little bit of a muted start to the month. But all in all, Christian... That's our shared best picture of our mm -hmm. David Leach blend of the month. So now looking back on those three movies, how do you feel? Because I've led you astray before, and it's always fun for me when you like hate my guts after the fact. But I am curious just how you feel about this month. Because obviously you can not like the movies, but appreciate the, the I goal. I appreciate so. what David Leach is doing. I just wish... I don't know. I, I wish there was a movie that connected with me. Because I think that so much of the individual elements do. They just never coalesce. So I, I no, I, I don't hate you for this. I'm more so <laughs> It's no football month. <laughs> that's we don't talk about that. <laughs> but it, it is definitely a I wish there had been I, I don't know, I, I, I'm more sad that there's not something in here for something that feels like it could very like the bullet train trailer is very much my thing. And I haven't gotten to my thing yet. You know, I'm looking for my next the gentleman. <laughs> The gentleman, yes. David Leach and Guy Ritchie honestly show a lot of similarities in terms of, of stylistic action. Yeah, it's true. They're sort of from the same school of movie making with, yeah, in terms of the characters they they like to put on screen, in terms of the frenetic action and working with Brad Pitt. <laughs> there is some similarities there. Remind me, what are your feelings about Deadpool 2? Like, is that your favorite David Leach movie? or I remember thinking it was a disappointment after how good the first Deadpool was, I thought, I, I don't think I hated it though. Okay. I, I, I think that I, I would say I was above neutral on it. 
Gotcha. I, I kind of like both of those movies the same. I know some people are bigger fans of the original, but they're they're both good for me. I don't think the original Deadpool was like a, a mind-blowing masterpiece of superhero filmmaking like some people think of it as, but I, I always understand if you have a preference. So, of course, Christian, now as we wrap our David Leitch Blend of the Month, we do get to go into our final episode of the month of August. There's a week that we are left to work with, and what we're going to be talking There's about... There's not a week that we're left to work with, unless you want me to... Do you want me to edit it and put it out on Wednesday the 31st? There's not a week that we're left to work with. I, That's I because we took the that. first week to do the top five. We did take the first week to do our top five. So... We have two episodes dropping next week. Yes, we do. We'll, we'll, we'll sort out the release schedule there. But we are going to be wrapping up our David Leach Blend of the Month by talking about some of our favorite action movies of the 2010s. And I'm looking ahead. I think our schedule is going to be fine because there's five Fridays in September. Mm-hmm, so we'll get to balance and, it out. Okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> we'll talk about it. But yes, we'll be talking about some of our favorite action movies of the 2010s. So I'm not going to say we're going we're gonna to proclaim the movies that we're discussing as the best action movies of the 2010s, but rather just our personal favorites. And we'll, we'll talk about why we love them. Definitely give a focus to some movies that are available on streaming. So if you've missed out, you can go check them out. But Christian, as I introduced that topic, if you had any movies come into mind, have you been trying to do some research or... So, How are you feeling about that episode? Well, it's not a list. It's not a top five list. So I think I'm going to divide it up into categories. So if this is like a sci-fi film, this is a comic book film, this is a hard-hitting drama film, this is action comedy. And and from those, try to see what's available to stream to share with the peoples. Or like maybe this is car action, this is space action, this is gun action type of thing. Yeah. there. Of course, the 2010s, and especially like action movies in the 2010s were dominated by superhero movies by the marvel cinematic universe by dc trying to keep up and by the return of star wars and some of these other long-running franchises either returning in the 2010s or persisting into the 2010s so there's a lot of superhero movies of franchise movies but there are of course a lot of other good action movies mixed in be they like you're saying action comedies more sci-fi oriented action stories even movies that you could consider action that might not have shootouts because of course if you look it up online something like ford v ferrari sports movie considered in some respects an action movie depending on where you look we both love that movie and so it should be a fun one to talk about not just some of our you know favorite straight up action movies the john wicks of the world but also to take a look at some of the other corners of the action world be it bringing in a movie like ford v ferrari or maybe something that's a little more sci-fi focused it should be a good time So, of course, listeners, if you have a favorite action movie of the 2010s, or if you're a basic person like me and you love Mad Max Fury Road, you can totally submit that to us as I naturally segue into our outro. Because, of course, there are a few things that you can do to support the show. Emailing us is one of them. The email for us is cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com, and we would sincerely appreciate your feedback. We always love to incorporate listener ideas into the movies we talk about, the blends that we put together for these months, and want to make sure that we're talking about movies you're interested in hearing about. So if you have a favorite action movie of the 2010s that you want to make sure we can shout out, go ahead and email us at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Say that one more time, Scott. It's cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. You can also support the show in a variety of other ways. Number one, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review if applicable. Helps us reach new listeners and grow on those platforms and we appreciate the support. My tender little ego needs a five-star review to stay happy. 
You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter and Christian on Instagram. And both Christian and myself are on Letterboxd, where we're regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? Two. Okay. So. Two thoughts. One, I hosted church at my apartment this past Sunday, and there was a little baby there, and she has started to learn how to look at stuff and grab them. And she looked at some of my whiskey and grabbed it. Oh, no. And I remember in the middle, we were going through, like, the book of Philippians. And I remember being like, no, no, no. no You're no, in no, church no. leading this child astray, Christian. <laughs> Another one. We have already gotten some people to agree to do a special show at the beginning of December. And I want to build up some expectation for that now. We have something pretty wonderful going on beginning of december that i think um will include a lot of tears <laughs> will for some aggravation sh- some heartache so um a ton of frustration uh but it will be fun and therefore please keep an eye out for for december's not that far away it's strange but true we've got september october november and then it's time to drop that show so Keep your ears out, listeners. We've got some special stuff coming up down the pipeline. Plus, already got some good ideas for September. We're looking forward to talking about that more next week on the show. So, of course, if you're still here, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your support. And this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.